with hazmats. Juliet added the wheezing cackle of her laughter to the rotor's roar in his headphones. Doritos and tequila, J2, he said in a croaky rasp. Not breakfast, more of a midnight snack to keep my strength up. He tried to grin, but it came out more as a grimace, and Juliet harumphed at him, pretending to be offended. She wasn't, of course. Over the years, J2 had hauled his sorry ass out to the rigs and away from whatever retarded mess he'd left back on shore, so many times that he doubted there was anything he could do to lower her estimation of him as a potential husband. Men, in J2's opinion, came in two standard flavors, potential husbands and other women's husbands, and neither of them ever measured up to her exacting standards. Dave, as she never tired of pointing out, was an exemplar. She used the actual word, too, having read it in one of the unreadable werewolf romances she immersed herself in between flights. Dave was an exemplar extra-fucking-ordinaire of why a woman like her, a woman of independent means and good breeding hips, had to be careful. Men who weren't to be found in the blessed state of being other women's husbands were generally deserving of their wretched and benighted state by way of being unmarriageable assholes. What? croaked Dave, who'd drifted off into a hangover haze for just a moment. Completely unmarriageable assholes, Dave, such as yourself. World is full of them, I said all trying to get at my good breeding hips and my 401k. He did his best to zone out the lecture he knew was coming, on the poor choice facing the modern marriageable lady, between potential husbands, who were all, without significant exception, gravely disappointing or downright dangerous, or a volatile combination of both, such as you represent, Dave Hooper. Once they had altitude, she pushed forward on the stick and brought them around to the southeast, breaking off her lecture to check in with air traffic control. Hundreds of feet below, the trailers and demountable huts of the Baron's petrochemical depot slipped from view as the nose dipped a little, and they commenced the long haul out to Tiber Field, about three hundred miles due south of New Orleans. Hooper had made this flight out to the rig so many times that he could picture the landscape without needing to look. In the sprawling dirt and gravel parking lot below were dozens of SUVs and pickups, way too many for the size of the depot, mostly owned by guys working a twelve-day shift out on the long reach. They came in from all over the Gulf Coast, some even driving all the way down from Austin and Dallas, leaving their Fords, Dodges, and Chevys in the company lot to grow a second skin of red dust and oily particulates. No imports for these men, and lift kits aplenty. In his mind's eye, he could see, without looking, the taco stand where everyone stopped for a last home-cooked meal before flying out. Home-cooked because Pedro, who ran the stand, lived there as well, bunking down in a sleeping bag on a pile of crushed cardboard boxes in the storeroom. 
With his eyes closed, Dave could see the small pound across the two lanes of unsealed road, running past Pedro's taqueria. A fine example of American entrepreneurialism, the doghouse had sprung up two years ago to serve the needs of those rig workers who didn't trust their partners on shore to look after their best friends while they were out on the water. The proximity of Pedro's to the doghouse provided cheap and unlimited laughs to those who never grew tired of pondering aloud just how Pedro was able to stay in business, providing, as he did, the cheapest loose-meat snack anywhere on the Gulf Coast. Hooper felt the chopper alter course and commence its run out to the long reach. He was going out a day early, but knew better than to stay on shore until the last day of his leave. He would be able to dry out and detox in his bunk on the rig, protected from his own excesses.